They're speakers, authors, and real-life rock stars, bringing you life-changing thoughts that rock. Taking conversation all the way to 11. Most shows only go to 10. Well, it's one louder, isn't it? These go to 11. To 11. This is Thoughts That Rock. Now, here are your hosts, Jim Knight and Brant Menswar. Hello, we love you, let us ask you your name. Hello, we love you and your tall window frame. Hello, wait, wait a minute. we love you. Did you I'm just, sorry? Did you just say tall window frame? I did. And you know what? what? I wrote this two seconds before we started. That's all I could That's find. The only, that's that the only rhyme. With the word name. That's the rhyme you came up window with. Window frame. Window yeah. frame. I love your tall window frame. You couldn't say counterclaim, hall of fame, aspartame, perfect game. I like a tall window frame, brother. Baptismal name. <laughs> There's so many you could have gone. You grand dame, you. You want to take? <laughs> see what, what I, I did, did right there? Yeah, I did see that. <laughs> Welcome, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us on Thoughts That Rock. It's the podcast that is sharing pieces of life-changing advice squeezed into about 20 minutes. Yeah, and you know, we, uh, we're we making a little bit of a format change. I know you just heard 20 versus 30 minutes. That's part of it. Starting, this just in. It is. Brand new. It's a bullet flash. So based off of some of our analytics... And from what apparently you guys have said, we're going to do a couple things different. One is we're going to give you one awesome thought a week. Yep. Trimming it down, baby. Just a little bit, which means we're not going to have to go as long as 30, 40 minutes, which is kind of where we were trending anyway. We're going to try and cram all that into about 20 minutes. That's right. So we're looking forward to that. And that'll start our new season in uh, 2020. So right around the corner. I'm super excited about that. Yeah, Listen, we are. This podcast helps support Cannonball Kids Cancer and their fight for finding treatment options for kids who've run out of options. So if you get a second, we would truly appreciate it if you check them out at cannonballkidscancer.org. Yeah, they're amazing. And listen, we know how busy you are, and life is coming at you at about 100 miles an hour, mm-hmm. and just trying to find a moment to yeah. grab a tiny little morsel mm-hmm. of leadership, just something in your life to amp it up. Yummy. They're hard to come by. We get that, mm-hmm. which is why it doesn't really matter whether you're, let's say, holding an all-day garage sale right now. Hey, two bucks. Or maybe you're slinging mulch, Whoosh. or you're cleaning up a crime string. I'm sorry? I said that stinks. No. <laughs> A crime scene probably does stink. Oh, my hands are bloody. We're we're about to give you about the 20 minutes that you've been looking forward to all week. I like it. Let's get this thing going. Rock and roll. Our guest today comes from the cutthroat world of political marketing. Uh, Philip Stutz, the founder and CEO of WinBig Media. Philip, first off, welcome to Thoughts That Rock. Thanks. Honored to be here. Listen, I got to tell you, man. Like your your background here, this the the bio that will the full bio will share in the in the show notes. But crazy good. Oh my gosh! <laughs> so, two decades of experience working on campaigns with billions of dollars in political ad spend. He's contributed to over twelve hundred election victories, that blows my mind. including hundreds of U.S. House campaigns, dozens of U.S. Senate campaigns, even three U.S. presidential victories. Uh, the Democrat in me wants to have a chat with you when we're over. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. I'm good. I'm, I'm one of those civil-minded 
uh, political people, except when I'm, I have to go up against a, uh, an opponent. Yeah. <laughs> and then they're dead to me. Uh, that's the truth. <laughs> he is the best-selling author of Fire Them Now, The Seven Lies Digital Marketers Sell. Great um, title. Great just title. fantastic. <laughs> Interesting enough, um, in 2012, he was diagnosed with uh, the esophageal disease, achalasia, which is a rare, incurable disease. Um, we're going to talk about sort of his mission a little bit today of finding a cure and, and coping with that on a regular basis uh, as part of his thought today. Uh, he's one of our fellow Kepler speakers, yeah. works, of course, with Gary Vee's Vayner speakers as well. The guy's a marketing genius, a political genius, which don't often go together in the same sentence. So we are, we couldn't be happier to have you as a guest on thoughts that rock Philip. Thanks man. Let's roll. We do things a little different here. You know, we don't like to go too deep into uh, bios and that sort of thing. We like to jump right to your juicy piece of advice. So the floor is yours. What is your thought that rocks? Thoughts that rock. Number one. Yes. Yeah, the, best piece of advice I've ever received and it's the quality of your life is in direct proportion to the amount of uncertainty you can comfortably tolerate mm. Mm. so so first of all where did that come from Tony Robbins ah uh -uh. nice never heard of him <laughs> oh okay well yeah he's, he's new to the scene uh I love it. If he's um, listening, I, uh, good luck, Tony. I, yes. I, I spent a year doing all his programs, sometimes multiple times. Um, at some points in, in the middle of those programs, I found myself in the corner of the uh, of the hall, sucking my thumb in the fetal <laughs> position. Um, at other times, I found myself on my chair screaming, um, you know, uh, up and down. And uh, But ultimately, the... I was in such a horrible psychological space and before I um, sort of committed myself to what Tony, the Tony programs, this is uh, five years ago. Mm -hmm. And um, that one stuck out to me because what mm -hmm. I've learned more than anything else is that uh, the human, human nature just wants to be comfortable and, and wants their certainty. And I'm no different than anybody else. I want, everything to go exactly the way I want it to go. I don't like there to be any disruptions. I don't want to have to think about things. I just want things to go right all the time. And people will defer back to that certainty in their life on everything. And, and it got me in a lot of trouble. Um, and I don't, I don't mean like uh, I went to jail, but it, it got me into a lot of relationship trouble. It, it spiraled my life in a, in a bad way, both on the health that you mentioned in the intro, mm. um, but it also just in the relationships. I was, a, I mean, to be frank, um, I was a terrible leader in my business. Mm. People did not like to work for me. I, I always say I was the worst type of narcissist, mm -hmm. right? I was the narcissist that blamed all the problems on everybody. Mm. That's the, you know, the worst. Like Everything went wrong. Right. It was never my fault. Oh, yeah. 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 I'm you like tell that. me Jim's the worst. At that. <laughs> the worst. So, um, and then, uh, you know, I uh, uh, was not probably a very uh, uh, selfless husband. And um, the first year that my daughter was, was alive, I was not a very good dad. Hmm. Um, and uh, the disease was a wake-up call. This quote is something that floats in my head on a daily basis, this thought. And, uh, um, and, and it, it drives everything I do. I mean, and, and also the disease gives me a fun, it is proven that 
uh, there's a fin- finite time in this life. Yeah. And you can either be make the best of it and put yourself in uncomfortable positions uh, and go for things, or you can sit in your certainty and die. And yeah. and I know that's extreme, but that really is how it is. And um, look, I didn't make a change until the pain was too big. And I think what I like to commit myself to is helping other people um, to not let that pain get too big. It, 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 sorry, I'm now I'm, I feel like I'm uh, filibustering. Sorry, no. and, uh, but I, I I would also say the difference is you know, it's the aspirin or the vitamin. Uh, unfortunately yeah. I had to take like the aspirin about five years ago yeah. because the pain was too great. I, today I take vitamins, uh, in every part of my life and it doesn't mean I've solved anything. Yeah. <laughs> I am not, I, I screw up really all the time, but I'm committed to taking that vitamin every day, taking myself out of, uh, certainty, um, to, you know, innovating, um, trying to push the envelope and, and, you know, that's what I've found gives me purpose, excitement, and ultimately will, will cure my disease as well. Mm. Well, first off, I think you're definitely speaking our language. I mean, we live in the world, you know, in what we do and our backgrounds have been just ripe with unpredictability and a little bit of irreverence and, and sometimes uncertainty. And maybe we've, you know, we've been okay with accepting it. And it's funny when you first through the quote to us, I was thinking in my head that it, it felt like it was more of a business approach. And it's funny that almost all the examples that you use were in your personal life. And you've, I'm sure you've probably given a ton of advice to different political candidates, but you know, here's the one that stuck out to you from somebody else that was uh, in, in the self-development world, the one that resonated with you. And I'm sure people say all the time that they don't like uncertainty, but I think when I look at the quote, that you gave here from Tony Robbins, you know, if you are more willing, I think to accept it, accept the uncertainty, it sort of frees you up, right? That, that if you allow things to happen, you're not going to get freaked out. And it sounds like from your, your personal life, you know, being a husband, being a father, dealing with the disease, you know, that this probably would have helped you out if you had that a little bit earlier in life. Right. Sure. But, you know, I always, you know, I get, I get this question because I've done a lot of uh, interviews at this point. Like, uh, you know, if, what would you go back and tell your 25 year old self? Mm-hmm. And I'm 45 now. And the, the answer is I wouldn't tell him anything. My path is my path. Yeah. I feel incredibly blessed that at the, the ripe uh, young age of 40, I was able to rewire my entire brain. Uh, which was the suckiest two years of my life, mm. but I came out the other side. And there's this exponential opportunity, growth, everything, and in, in, in my relationships, in my work, in my health, everything came out better as long as I was willing to make the change yeah. and be un- and and be uncertain with it. Like what was going to happen? I didn't know. Um, and you know, there are a lot of people I know that are in their 60s and 70s and 80s who never get the chance to even understand who they really are. Yeah. Where where their subconscious is, what what decisions they made in life and how they what model behavior they took and then projected onto other people. I I got the chance to change. It may be halfway through, but my god, that's great. And my legacy is to make sure my daughter never ever has to wait till 40 you know that she has the opportunity to be her authentic self 
um, that there are no masks and there's no, you know, obviously I'm not going to be perfect in this, but uh, that that she models uh, the behaviors of her parents who give her, uh, and then she has the ability to go make an incredible life. And that really is how I look at it. Yeah. I love it. You know, I think it's interesting. You said sort of, it took sort of this monumental moment in your life uh, for you to make this change. And, you know, one of the things that, um, that I, that I, I spoke about even in my, uh, in my first book, uh, with uh, a buddy of mine, Jim trick, who's a, a life coach up in Marblehead, Massachusetts. One of the things we talked about, and especially what he would see with his clients is they're sort of waiting to hit rock bottom before they make the change. And one of the things he would always say is if you're waiting to hit rock bottom, raise the floor. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, the other day, we, had, we were interviewing a friend of ours uh, on a future episode here, Alan Stein uh, Jr., and he talked about sort of a prescription for success, and and it, it, he relates it to the way that we take medicine. He said there's two types of people, right? There are people who can take that horse pill and swallow it dry, and then there are people who need to crush it up in applesauce and hide it and, and, and take it that way. Mm-hmm. And I think that... Um, it's sort of, I would imagine you sort of had to face that same sort of a decision, right? When you have to make these changes, you can either try to take that pill as it is and, and do it that way, or you can break it down into bite-sized pieces and, and approach it in that fashion. Which one worked for you? Well, I'd rather have crushed it into the applesauce and taken it, um, but I, I was, you know, facing... Um, uh, so on the, I was facing a lot of, uh, uh, consequences in my life on a lot of different fronts. Um, five years ago, at this moment, um, my, my marriage was okay, but it, it definitely was not going in the right direction. I definitely had skipped out on the first year of my daughter's life traveling for work. What I thought was things that I thought were important that weren't. Um, the, the disease was, uh, the, the diagnosis on the disease is that I'm facing, a, a, a I have an esophageal disease called echolasia mm-hmm. and it, um, uh, my muscles and my nerves and my stomach don't, I mean, my esophagus don't work. And so I can't eat without swallowing a ton of water and everything I do. And it's a, and it's a autoimmune disease and the doctors say they will remove my esophagus in the next five years if there's not a cure and there is no cure and it's a rare disease people don't put money in rare diseases okay all that stuff and then you know so you could see like i I, there was this crazy disruption coming with me and everything i mean (laughs) so i sort of i had to uh and and you know at these tony robbins events i was forced to peel the the layers of the onion in my in my psychology to understand where my behaviors came from and then start to rebuild that and and it smacked me in the face all at once so i you know look i'm taking uh i'm having to work on this every day and i will work on it every day for the rest of my life and i'm not where i need to be but i'm working towards it uh towards getting you know finding progress uh and purpose every day um, but I, I, that was a, it was the big pill I had to take. Oh my God, it's everything. It's mm-hmm. me. You know, this guy, this is something I hadn't thought about or talked about, but for, I blamed everybody for everything. And then it's that the moment was knowing that it wasn't everybody, including my wife, mm-hmm. that it was me. Yeah. I was the problem. Yeah. It wasn't all of these people. I, 
was the problem and I could either change or things were going to go into a bad place. And so that's, uh, man, man. Yeah. Sorry. I got deep here. No, that's uh, that's, that's sort of where, uh, where it was. I guess it was, I took, I had to take the big horse pill and realize dry, painfully dry, uh, in order to come out the other side. It's a beautiful place. I will tell you this. I could do no more work on myself and I've got a great life ahead of me, but I'm, I know there's there, I can do even better and, and we can talk about what I'm, I'm, so I'm about to go through another transformation, but it's proactive. It's the vitamin. Yeah. It's not the aspirin. Yeah. And so, you know, so interesting enough, uh, sort of on that subject, I, I always find it interesting. Um, you know, I think Tony Robbins is someone who is, uh, often misunderstood. Um, I, I had this sort of image in my head of who he was and what he stands for. And then I watched the documentary, um, uh, that he put out and it, it changed a lot of my opinion, uh, in a good way. Um, and, and also some of the dangers of the, the business that he's in and personal growth and the, the, the boundaries and the steps and the, and what's at, what's at stake and what's, what's the risk on the part of the people who come. Um, and, it's, I think it's always interesting. So in my head, uh, over the course of the last 20 years, I would say that the people that I would imagine going to a Tony Robbins type of event were really struggling in their life in some way, shape or form, or weren't, weren't successful in the ways that they chose to be successful. They were longing to be successful. But when I see someone like you, who's had enormous success in a field that is (laughs) not known for enormous success, (laughs) Um, I'm dying to know what is it about someone like Tony Robbins that attracts you to want to be involved? Because I would think someone like you's got it all figured out. And so it's just, it it blows my mind that, um, is in spite of the success you've had, you're still longing for more. Can you, can you tell us a little bit about how that came about or what drew you to that? I listened to a podcast, um, with Tim Ferriss and Tony Robbins, it was uh, in like 2014, and I, I didn't know anything really about the guy. And I just pulled, I was driving from uh, New Orleans to Birmingham, Alabama to see a client, and I just pulled over on the side of the road and started taking notes. And I was like, I, whatever he's selling, I'm buying because he is hitting <laughs> everything that I'm struggling with right mm. now. And obviously, he, he's good at what he does. But, uh, I literally got to my hotel and Googled Tony Robbins Hmm. and saw that there was a program called business mastery. And like, I wasn't ready to look at inside myself at that moment. And so I, I just said, all right, how much is it? And it was like, you know, $10,000 to go or something. And and I literally about threw up in my mouth because (laughs) uh, I I would, I'd never spend any money on myself. Like that, that would be a waste of money. Right. Yeah. Not realizing, and you guys so understand this, right. The best stock in my portfolio is me. Mm-hmm. So why in the world would I not invest a ton of money in myself to get better? Because I'm the best ROI in in my life. Yeah. Like there's no stock that's been better than than what I've what I believe I can do. Yeah. And so writing that check, I basically said, Well, I can't fail now. I wrote written this massive mm-hmm. check. <laughs> and I went to the program. It compl- I'm I'll never forget. I called my wife 
that first night and said, my whole life I've been looking at a hieroglyphic map and not knowing where to go. And one day with that dude, and I literally said, I can see where the treasure is. And it didn't mean I got to the treasure. I could just see how to get there. Um, um, and then I was willing to kind of look inside my personal life and, and go through that. So I did all these programs that year. Um, since that point, I probably invested close to four hundred, five $500,000 in myself, in mentoring programs, in high-level masterminds, in these things. Um, and it's one of the reasons why in five years I created an ad agency right after this first program with Robbins. And we've grown at 30,000% in less than five years. Um, and and we've started four companies since then. They're all debt-free. I'm sole owner and there's no outside investment. And we, we're all, I mean, we're all growing every one of them. Wow. And so the reason it's not that I've done anything great. I just invested in the stock that I know works. And I always ask people that, that I work with, like, what's your most important stock in your portfolio? And they all say, Oh, you know, I got Microsoft, <laughs> got right. Apple and I go, really? Yeah. That's interesting. You know, like, uh, or I, you know, I got a couple houses <laughs> Yeah, and I'm yeah. like, <laughs> yeah, but if you invested all that money into you, what, what could, what could be, what could come out of that? What an and, and, and so I, that's just it. Like, and if you don't feel like you can do that, then that should tell you, you got all the work to do. Right. Yeah. yeah. My, my, mine's not confidence. It's purpose, man. Like I invest in this because man, does that, first of all, you go write a $50,000 check to spend five hours with a billionaire. Mm, yeah. Go do it. Yeah. Right. And then see how much uncertainty you got going into that. meeting. <laughs> how many pairs of pants do I have to bring? Because I would soil yeah. most of them after writing that sort of check. Right. But you're, it's right though. Um, you, you sort of got it on the line. I think that's the, it, re it really leads us into, into this second thought, which is, which is really, I think the next step, the next chapter of, of what you're talking about. And, you know, our thought that rocks this week is this. It, it comes from Martin Luther King Jr. Thoughts that rock, number two. And it's, you don't have to see the whole staircase. Just take the first step. And that, to me, um, speaks so profoundly to your idea of uncertainty, um, where most people, unless they can see the whole staircase, they're not going to they're not going to move. Um, they're too nervous about what's, what's up there. Um, if they can't see a clear path that they just freeze. And, and what is evident to me is that that, that might've been where you were at one point, but you decided at some point to say, I don't need to see the whole staircase. I just need to see the next step. Mm -hmm. and, and you took it. And because you took it, it started to reveal a future for you that became clearer and clearer and clearer with every step that you took. And you found the courage and, you know, we talked about uncertainty and, and to me, uncertainty and, and vulnerability are bedfellows, but neither have to have a stranglehold on your ability to make positive change in your life. And, and it seems to me that that is the approach that you've taken is let's not worry what's at the top of the staircase. Let's worry what's at that next step. Is that something you'd agree to? So this is really weird. I was in a staff meeting this morning and I gave uh, almost this exact quote mm -hmm. um, in the meeting. And it's actually a little bit different. Uh, one of those 
great mentors that I worked with is a guy named Keith Cunningham. Um, one of the why this guy is so smart and so brilliant is uh, he's out of Austin, Texas. He's about seventy years old. Is he? He made a hundred million dollars, lost everything, uh, lost his family, lost literally everything, um, and built it all back up. Wow. And he teaches business owners not to 10x everything they do, but how not to lose it. Mm. And I just think that's brilliant because nobody is in that space right now. Right. right. And what Keith, Keith's man, mantras constantly reinforcing when you when we meet when I meet with him is. Um, if you need to go 200 down, miles down the road, you need to kick a can 200 miles down the road to hit your goal. You don't kick it in one kick. Yeah. It's impossible to kick it 200 miles. You kick it 10 feet. Yeah. And then you walk up and you kick it 10 feet and you just keep moving forward. And, and look, this kind of goes back to what I really, one of the core beliefs that I finally understood and it's taken a long time. I'm never going to reach the mountaintop. Yeah. I'm never going to. <laughs> I'm never, I want to repeat this. I am never going to reach the mountaintop. I have to enjoy the walk up the mountain. The journey. And that is, once I realized this and it really meant something to me, that's when things really started to change and transform. And that goes to the quote in and of itself, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. And I think most people probably go through this when they're, let's say, going into higher education. You go to college, and even if they had a focused degree, and a lot of people are still just going on general studies, they still don't know what happens with them. And, you know, all of us sitting around the table have had this before. The long and winding road is a little bit blurry, you know, and I could use myself. I mean, I have a music degree. I was a substitute middle school teacher for six years, but then I was 30 years in hospitality, 21 of those with hard rock. And what I'm doing right now, I wouldn't be doing if I didn't have all three of those levers. So I needed the music. I needed the education. I needed the hospitality to be able to push the right buttons. You know, little did I know that this would be the future. And I think a lot of people go through that. They've got this little element of uncertainty. But, Brant, to the to the quote that you pulled is, uh, you know, you got to take the first step and just crush that, excel at that, commit to that. And eventually that will lead to something great. Not sure what it is. But it'll mm. there'll be a window or a door that opens, right? Yeah, I totally. think. Yeah, and and I think it's even sort of Philip to your thought of coming to the realization that you're not going to reach the, the top of the mountain. Um, I think is it has profound implications, not just for you, but for your legacy, mm -hmm. and and understand that who are you training up to continue the walk. Who's, who's walking by, who's walking beside you that when your walk is over, they can, they can start from where you finished. And I think that that's part of what it seems to me anyways, in, in knowing what I do about you and, and reading what I've read, um, you know, part of this, uh, idea of finding a cure and pursuing a life, uh, of constant growth and giving back, uh, it, it's got to weigh heavy on you that, that, now that you know that you're not going to reach the peak, who are you? Is it, is it your children? Is it your mentees? Is it who, who are the people that you're investing in to continue the walk up the mountain? Because it's not going to happen in your lifetime. And I think that there are far too few of us that are thinking in that, uh, with that perspective and, and the importance of passing along the journey and the, the, the passion for the walk uh, that has to be there because it might take several lifetimes to reach that pinnacle. Yeah, and it's the same thing I tell business owners. I mean, like uh, the 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 
my story is really a metaphor for where the um, where the world is going in business. I mean, we are, you know, look, I don't care if you hate him or you love him. Donald Trump's the most disruptive force that has ever entered into politics. And yeah. it was, uh, you know, basically it was about a 18 year uh, you know, period where it led to that. Right. Yeah, yeah. And, um, I try to tell people all the time, this is where we are in the economy right now. We're, we're at the beginning stages of the, I've seen this. I, I now I know how to look at models yeah. or look at trends. Uh, and I'm like, Oh my gosh, we just were ahead of the trend on the political side, but these are what business owners are going through right now. And they're like, uh, things are going well. The economy is going good. I'm going to stick my head in the sand. I'm not going to innovate. I'm not going to take my, uh, I'm not going to reinvest. I'm not going to try to figure out how to innovate in a time when I've got the money to do it and put my position myself to be successful down the road. And it's, it, people are putting their head in the sand. They know this whole digital res- revolution has come. Yeah. Um, and they're, they're playing a tactical game. Um, and they're really frustrated by it and then they shut down and I mean, I get it. I totally understand how that feels. Um, I did it in not only my business and my personal life and in my health. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, the question is, what do you need to do? Let's go back to thought too, right? Right. What, what do you need to do to take one step at a time to do things the right way to innovate and put yourself in a position to, yeah, it could be grow yourself, but it could also be about your business yeah. um, or it could be about your health. Yeah. And I think what, you know, look, I always let me give you one example. Um, and I talk about this in my book, but um, it, the disruptions that are coming in the economy are not what you see. It's what you don't see. The the one example I give is the uh, autonomous cars like they're coming. Right. Yep. We know in like yep. five years they're going to be here. Yep. My my seven year old daughter will never drive a car. Right. Um, great. That's the one we see. We know it's coming. It's the second and third order consequences of that. I mean, what happens to, let's say, city and state governments when you can no longer write speeding tickets or parking tickets because self-driving cars are going to go to the same, you know, the right That's speed great point. And, and they're going to park themselves in legal spots and there's no more revenue. No revenue coming it's in. <laughs> no revenue coming in. What What happens there? What happens to... Uh, emergency care nursing at nurses when there are 250 to 500,000 less auto accidents a year and they're not going into hospitals. Do they, those people get laid, you know, does a, a large proportion of those people get laid off? Yeah. Um, what happens to insurance, car insurance companies Yeah. when you don't, 99% less traffic accidents are occurring. Um, and the crazy, uh, the fun one is what happens to ambulance chasing lawyers. Well, right. they'll go away. <laughs> but, the, um, but the other one is uh, uh, what happens to people on organ donor lists? The 35,000 deaths per year by automobile in the U.S. alone. So if you're on an organ donor list waiting for an organ, most likely from someone that will die in a car accident, what happens when there are you know, 300 deaths a year by car after autonomous cars come in place. Yeah. And no one is thinking through these things right now. No business owner is really thinking through these these second and third order consequences. I know, I'm not. You just right. blew my Let mind. Let me tell you, right. there, there are 10,000 of these. I'll tell you one that, that is in my world, the marketing world. There are startup companies out there that are going to the Fortune 200 companies, the Home Depots or whatever, and they're saying instead of spending $200 million a year on advertising and marketing, why don't you uh, give if someone you know uses our app, they get five percent of anything they buy in your store back in cash. 
So you're taking half of your marketing or ad budget and you're just giving it to the customer directly. Hmm. You don't think that's going to be a massive disruption in my market? Yeah, of course right. it is. Right. Um, you know, I, the construction industry, there are 3D printing houses now yeah. uh, that can withstand 8.0 earthquakes or, or Category 5 hurricanes. Well, what happens to the insurance companies in, you know, where you guys live and where I live in yep. Florida? Yep. Like the, those people that charge us so much dang money to, to in insurance because of the hurricanes. What happens to workers when you've got robots that can put up drywall? By the way, that's happening right now yeah. in Japan. Robots it are is. putting drywall up in houses. The housing industry is going to be completely disrupted. By the way, I just gave you three. There are 10,000 yeah. of these that are occurring in the next 10 years. Crazy. You don't think that's uncertain? So you've got to embrace this uncertainty yeah. and you have to kick the can or walk one step at a time yep. and figure it out and adjust what you do in your life, your health and your business. Man. Well, listen, first of all, you just blew our minds. Yeah. Jim and I are staring at each other with drool coming down. It's just like what just happened. I think we'd be, we'd be remiss if we didn't ask in the, in the spirit of the second question, uh, the second thought, you don't have to see the whole staircase. Just take the first step with regards to, the current political landscape uh, in the U.S. here and what the Dems are facing, what do you think that f that first step should be uh, that they should be looking at? Because I feel like everyone is looking up the staircase and, and no one is <laughs> no one's focused on just simply what the next step is. Here we go. Here we go. We we got a political guru on the show. <laughs> yes. We need answers. So, are you, so you're asking, what do the Dems need to do to make progress to do to beat Trump in 2020? Correct. What's the first? What's the step? Right. We know that the the top of the well, staircase for up them. The first step. Oh they, yeah, they, completely they did. Completely screwed it up. Here, here's why. The last thing you need to have is a, a septuagenarian that's white as your candidate. Yeah. And now you've got uh, Bloomberg. You've got Warren, you got Biden, and you got Bernie. Mm -hmm. And all of them are all white people. Yeah. And so for me, I like there are doesn't mean they can't one of them can't win and beat Trump. I'm not saying that. Yeah. But you're already putting yourself at a disadvantage when uh, you know, one of the reasons why Obama won was my God, this is what our country is all about. Yeah. Even if you didn't like him, a lot of people felt like this embraces the core values of our country, yeah. that that we are a society of people that can take uh, people of different ethnicities, uh, of different colors, of different, you know, whatever, yeah. of gender or whatever. Like these things are what make us great. Yeah. And the first problem they have is they've got the fourth leaders and the fifth is Buttigieg and he's white and young. And so, but he at least, I, I know this, like, I, 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 I I've spent time with Pete Buttigieg. I actually kind of like him personally. Um, but my uh, but again, um, they they have a problem right now, right out the gate. Now, can it be solved? Of course it can. Uh, they may not have to do anything. Yeah, <laughs> right. yeah, yeah. Um, but maybe they will too. So I just don't know right now. I think they've started. Um, there. Listen. If I'm to look at the internal polling right now in mm -hmm. this race, mm -hmm. uh, the, the, do you know what the number one motivating – what Democrats want more than anything right now? The issue that is driving them more than anything. Climate is it, change. You think it's climate change? Do you think it's health care? Yeah, one of the what, two. What do you think? I think climate probably number one. I hear that more than anything I else. Think, I think health care. I would, I would yeah. think health care. Sure. You're both wrong. <laughs> really? Yeah. It's, it's beat the hell out of Donald Trump. 
That's uh, true. Yeah. I'm not all political. Yeah. <laughs> so my point is, though, that's a that's a very strong motivation motivating factor. Yeah. The Republicans are like, man, we're fat and happy right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this is what happens in our business. Think about and I'll give you. So can I give you a sure. very, very fast history example? Of this? Yeah. Yeah. So in 2004, I ran the get out the vote marketing program for George W. Bush's reelect. It was the most innovative race in the history of political races ever because for the first time ever we used consumer data over overlaid it with what's called voter data which voter data is basically every state collects data on you as a voter and gives it to us as the marketer and then we market to you but we were able to combine like consumer data like what you (coughs) your subscriptions your purchases all that stuff building out profiles of each voter so that we could target them with messages on the things they cared about rather than just the politician going out minority report they wanted to So that had never happened before in the history of American politics. And it happened in that race for the first time ever. And after that race, what did we do as the Republican Party? Man, we sat back and said, "Woo, we did great here. This is great. And the Democrats got pissed and they innovated. Yeah. Because they just got disrupted. Yeah. And then all of a sudden Obama came in and took and modeled all the stuff we did on data and married it with social media. Yeah. And then they had eight years and they sat back and they said, Woo, we're fat and happy. We're going to win forever. And then Trump came in and Trump took the data, the social media and the branding, the three components now branding the third one. And he took it and he, he ran the most innovative race in the history of American politics. And the reason I tell you that is because we have election day and election day says you either win or you lose. There isn't a, what is the quarterly report? (laughs) Oh my God. What is our brand management? It's not, none of that, none of that. So my point is that you've got to constantly innovate that these disruptions that I'm talking about right now, they're everywhere and I've seen them and you've got to take one step at a time and out innovate everybody at all times whether it be again your health your life uh or your business and this is what i'm sort of committed to and how i look at marketing uh companies and candidates is like mm-hmm. how do we get an advantage by doing things that no one else is doing does it make you feel any better brant uh it makes Say it me, again it, he asked me if it made me feel <laughs> oh, any better and uh, and uh <laughs> My answer is I need Philip to help me run my next book launch <laughs> is what I need. Yes. <laughs> because the cutthroat world of publishing is probably yeah. like that too. Actually, I have a question for you, Philip. You had mentioned before, as we sort of come to the uh, the end of the show here, you had mentioned that you're about to go through another transition. You know, what's that, that yeah. inflection point that's about to happen in your world? Uh, I'm, I'm going to do psychedelics for therapy. Nice. Wow. Is that for real? I've already I've already started. Um, I'm going to go do it again soon. Um, so what does that mean? Uh, there are, uh, are you familiar with uh, psychedelic therapies? No, I'm I, not. I am a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah. I uh, I did um, an MDMA, which is ecstasy, with yeah. a therapist. Yeah. Uh, in a in a blindfold. Yeah. And um, I can tell you that I identified in that session. Uh, a dark cloud that had hovered over my life for 35 years wow. evaporated in five hours. Wow. And and then I was able to go work on it for eight months. And so I'm going to do it again. I'll probably do psilocybin this time, which is mushrooms. Uh, this is not at a party. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah, this is in a very controlled environment with a blindfold on. It is not legal. 
Um, but it will be. It is literally in late stages of clinical trials being run by Johns Hopkins right now. Um, uh, but what it does is it helps. Like there are certain things that I, as hard as my willpower is, I cannot uh, willpower and and and, and break through uh, those walls that I need to, and I identify what those problems are, uh, the way I need to improve, how I need to be, live more authentically or, mm-hmm. or be more present. Uh, all of these things. And, um, and so um, I'm giving this a shot. And the, the first session I did was remarkable change, literally changed my life. Wow. You just uh, gave forever. everybody on our show a reason to jump into the show notes. Yeah. Everyone's going to be looking for psychedelic <laughs> therapy brand. Yeah, I, mean, I sure tell you, uh, just Google the great, great article is uh, one of my real good buddies. is a guy named Tucker Max, who's a best-selling author and an entrepreneur. And just Google Tucker, Tucker Max MDMA, and you can read about it. And there's another book uh, called, if you really are interested in this, the the book is called Trust, Surrender, Receive uh, by Ann Other, O-T-H-E-R. Uh, and it's a bunch of case studies um, on it. And, and they're using this in clinical trials right now to help people with PTSD from war yeah. and things like that and having insane results like yeah insane but here's the thing we all have ptsd in our lives yep. i don't care if you grew up with a great set of parents or a horrible set of parents there is ptsd in things that we did and decisions we made and so the question is what are you going to do about it and so this is the the path that i'm kind of going down it's right amazing now. that's honestly jim you don't even know it but we have a mutual friend uh in in the hard rock world that has done this um actually took a journey it, it, put him in the middle of like the Amazonian jungle to, really? be, to be administered with uh, a shaman who did, I, I, it's some sort of, is MDMA, yeah. what, which one's the frog poison? Uh, I, 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 there is, I, there is yeah, one, yeah, it I, is, I, there are a lot there's a name ways. for it. There's a, it's a real yeah. deal. And mm. like, you have to, you have to be with people who know what they're doing. Cause it's not, it's, you know, it's not, this isn't recreational. This yeah. is this is purpose behind what they're doing. It's amazing. It's it's enlightenment of some kind is what people are searching for. And so, um, he's had uh, honestly amazing life changing results from and and I think for him that next maybe MDMA was the next thing he was going to be going to try because he had such an amazing experience the first time. Wow. But listen, Philip, you've been. Honestly, I wish we could do a, a mini series with yeah. you. <laughs> I mean, he's coming back. Sorry if I was rambling. Oh no, gosh, are you kidding me? I get on. A, I get going. We uh, we want to just make sure that people can stay in touch. I know you you have a um, a, free, a free service, yeah, that a free like. marketing audit that you offer, and I know you want to offer the same to our audience. Could you tell us a little bit about what that's in, what's involved with that? Yeah, I mean, I, uh, part of what I'm. My mission now is is real simple. This is the company mission and values. This is how I live my life. And I the the reason I set this up was because I wasn't this, and I'm, I'm striving to be it every day. And it is simple as this: give and grow. Give more than you take, and always be growing. And I think yeah. if I can just live by those two things, I'm going to have an extraordinary life. Philip, right? you already gave and, us a great thought. You don't have to give us two. Yeah, that's, okay, that's going to be a different episode. episode. Give and grow. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> um, Let's just start there. <laughs> Yeah, my bad. Uh, no, anyway, and so um, we created, you know, I kept running into business owners. I interviewed 100 business owners for my book, and they all came back with the same thing. They were sort of frustrated with 
the marketing world. They couldn't figure it out. They were told to go run a bunch of ads with no real reason behind them. And then they lose all this money and the marketing firm makes a bunch of money and all this stuff. And so we just said, well, let's help them even if they don't work with us. And so we created a free five minute marketing audit. You can go to philipstutz.com backslash audit. It takes five minutes. It's your, basically you input your digitally available public footprint. My team reviews everything about your company that's available online um, over a two to three business days. We put together a 25 point checklist, a seven page report on what you're doing right and what you can improve. And then we'll do a free 30 minute consultation to go over it with you wow. and, uh, and answer any questions. And you, if at that point you go, man, can we work with you? Well, yeah, we can have that conversation. But if you don't just take it and do whatever you want with it. Um, I'd rather, you know, we've done over 500 at this point. Um, and, uh, it's been, it's been extraordinary to learn about business owners and people. It's a gr- been a great psychological study for me because I learned so much about, uh, where people are in their, in their business life cycle and how, how they need to improve. So it's great. What's, what's the best way for people to do that? Should they go to your website? Is there, what's your social media? How, how, how is that going to Yeah. Happen? Yeah. Actually you can find everything about me at philipstutz.com and the audit is there too. And there's a tab for it and just click right on it. Fantastic. We'll put that in the show notes for yeah. sure. Philip, listen, man, you have been a complete rock star today. We can't thank you enough. We look forward to doing this again, uh, hopefully sooner than later. Thank you so much for being a guest on Thoughts That Rock. Uh, it, it, honestly, it's my honor. And, and I, I just love the purpose that you guys put out in the world. And um, yeah, this is the kind of um, uh, podcast that if more people had, uh, we'd be a, a better society. So I'm, I'm honored too. So thank you. Oh man. We love hearing that. that well, it's guests like you, man. You're awesome. Thanks brother. Rock on. Hey, rock stars. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe to make sure you don't ever miss an episode. And if you're interested in having Brant or me or both of us speak at your event, we're exclusively represented by Kepler speakers, the industry's leading resource for booking conference keynotes. To start your unforgettable experience, go to KeplerSpeakers.com. Until next time, rock Rock on. on.